<clears throat> Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. There's a warning about having a lukewarm heart. Revelation chapter 3, let's read verse 14, 15, and 16. Under the church, I'm sorry, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Right. Are you with me? Verse, thir- verse 14. These things saith the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, speaking to the Christians, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now the truth is, the truth is that it's easy to become lukewarm. Matter of fact, it's natural. It's going to room temperature. It's when you let a cup of coffee go to room temperature and then you reach back for it after an hour or so and you take a sip and you go, bleh. Now, if you notice, coffee's great when it's hot and when it's cold. But when it's lukewarm, it just, it has nothing to offer. It's like letting the fire go out. In the winter, you got this fire all stoked up. A fire is no good if it's gone to room temperature. Lukewarm means becoming just like everything else around you. Now, as natural as it may be, as natural as it it may be, it is a very dangerous thing for a Christian to go lukewarm. Same thing with marriage. Don't let your heart go cold in your marriage. And in a church, it's very dangerous when people and, and pastors and leaders and Sunday school teachers, when we cool off, it's dangerous. It ends in disaster. Worst of all, lukewarm Christians, and this is the point of the message, lukewarm Christians who've lost their passion for God, who, who've lost a hot heart, used to be excited and aren't anymore, they, they, just, they just become like everybody else around them. Lukewarm Christians will miss the very purpose of trouble in their lives. And they will waste years of their lives simply because of one fault, not because they weren't living the, 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 living the, the Bible or they weren't obeying the Bible or they weren't, weren't doing this and that, is because their heart was wrong. And it misses out on the promise that we're about to read this morning. Our theme this year is whatever happened to love. We need to ask ourselves, whatever happened to my love for God? You see, God has a special promise He's got some very special thing for those that love him. I mean, no, he loves us. I mean, I never could conceive loving God until I understood he loved me, amen? Not only does he love me and love you, he loves the whole world as messed up as we are. But what benefit is there in getting our hearts focused and fixed on loving God? I want to show you this morning. You see, uh, what I'm about to talk to you about is that... Um, uh, This promise is only for those that love him, that we're going to look at. This promise is only for those that stay in love with him, as a matter of fact. So let's uh, go to Romans chapter 28, Acts 8 and verse 28. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. What did I say? Acts. My brain there had a discombobulated moment. Romans chapter 8. In verse 28. 
Now, when you found that, we're going to come back to there. I want to give you some promises for those that love God. These are promises specifically directed at those that love God. Now, I had to go to Romans. I should have done that because I've got one, two, three, four, six verses for you to go to before we come back to Romans 8. So now that you found that, first go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. You'll see where we're going in a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9, these are some promises that aren't just for the believer. They are for more than just a Christian who believes God. They are for somebody who actually loves God. And, and I have to ask you, I have to ask you, how's, how's your, your fervency? How's your joy? How's your love for God? Is it, has it waned? Has it gone lukewarm? This message is for you. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9 says this. It says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God He is God, and you want to underline the next words, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant, that's his promise, and mercy with them that what? That love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Go to Judges chapter 5. Go to the right, Judges chapter 5 and verse 31. Judges 5 and 31. So let, with me, Judges, chapter 5, verse 31. So let all thine enemies perish, O Lord, but let them that, next two words, that love him, be as the sun when he goeth forth in his might. And the land had rest 40 years. Wow. Find another one. Psalm 145, middle of your Bible, Psalm 145. See, that phrase keeps showing up, them that love him, them that love God. I want to have greater faith. I want to be able to trust God for more, but I need to work on my heart. Psalm 145 and verse 20. The Lord preserveth all them that, next two words, that love him. Wow. But all the wicked... Will he destroy? First Corinthians chapter two. First Corinthians chapter two. Here's a New Testament promise. First Corinthians chapter two and verse nine. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them. That, wow, I wonder what I blow from the, from, from the gifts and the rewards and the, and the investment of God in my life, what I blow simply because my heart is not right with God. James, chapter 1, James, Hebrews, followed by James, chapter 1 and verse 12. James 1. In verse 12. You're going through trials? You're going through trouble? Going through temptation? All right, here's a promise for you. Verse 12, James 1, 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. I know many people who've been through trouble, and they come out bitter. They come out the most awful, the most, uh, the most repulsive 
type of attitude, response to the trouble they've been through. And that's a shame because the Bible gives you the key to how to endure that. Verse 12 says, Blessed is man that endured temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath prepared for them that... All right, so my goal is not to endure. You listen, Gavin? I want to endure. I don't want to give up. I want. To, I don't want to quit. I don't want to, to start murmuring and complaining and, and giving out. But that's not my goal. My focus is to love God. Because God's reward is not really to those who just endure. Not really just to those who endure, but those who get through it because they love God. One more. Uh, James chapter 2 and verse 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren. James 2, verse 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world? That's us, amen. <laughs> Rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that, last two words, that love him. Now, you've looked at some great verses, great promises to those that love him. But behold, the greatest promise of all the promises of the Bible for the believer It's found in Romans chapter 8 now. Now we get to go to Romans 8 and verse 28. Our memory verse this month, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Look at the promise. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that... Next two words. To them who are the called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Father, please help us this morning to hear your word. Our heart is going to fight and argue and resist and analyze and not understand. But there's a promise here. There's a promise that is only to those who love you. And there are too many Christians, even in this room. I'm not going to judge them, not going to analyze them, but I know my own heart. Anybody else is like me, our struggle is not with the struggles. Our struggle is with our heart. And the promise is for every person in this room who would just love you. If only we loved you. Lord, a lot of people don't know you. How can you love somebody you don't know? I'm glad people come to church. I'm glad they learn of you. But at some point, they've got to make a choice. They've got to make a decision to follow Jesus, to love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. I pray somebody does that today. I pray all of us yearn for you to have our heart. Maybe like it was when we first got saved. Maybe more than like it was when we got saved. God, give us revival. Start in my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, no one else can say such a thing as, look at your verse again, that we know all things work together for good. Nobody else can say that everything's working together for good. As a matter of fact, there's a guy I really got frustrated. I was listening, again, RT Radio 1. They replayed a, a clip by a guy named Stephen Fry, how angry he is with God. And I listened to it, and my heart just sank. Here's a guy who is so frustrated at life. He is so upset at how everything's wrong, and people are going through sickness. If there is a God up there, he had some very vile, blasphemous things. He said, I'm going to tell him, if I ever meet him, I'm going to tell him face to face. My heart went out. This guy is a messed up man. All right? Very popular entertainer. All he wants to do is point out we need to blame God. 
People more and more are just like him, though. They're messed up, believing in evolution, believing in the survival of the fittest. So no wonder people are pessimistic. No wonder people are upset at how things are just wrong. Everything is terrible. Everything's horrible. Everything's awful. By the way, Stephen Fry is on his second homosexual partner. And that second homosexual partner is 32 years younger than he is. My point is this. He's looked up to, listened to, and he's a mover and shaker in the world. But he's got nothing to brag on. I do. You know what? Christians today go around depressed, defeated, disappointed. And they think they got the good reason to be upset. They don't. You see, God hasn't quit. Thank God. He's very much alive. He's very much at work in this world. He actually, Bible says Jesus is holding everything together. The only reason why you haven't fallen apart yet is because Jesus Christ hasn't said so. The only reason why your car got you to, to church this morning, the only reason why you are still got two brain cells left in your head is because Jesus Christ is holding them there. Amen. He's very much at work. But folks, let me tell you this. The only ones who will ever see any good out of their lives, not that they won't experience good, but that if you want to see at the end of your life, it be for a purpose. The only ones who ever see any good out of their lives will be those who love God. Now, you may not like that, but it is true. Now, this is a message to provoke us to love God, not that you live sinlessly. Don't you ever get, well, we, uh, when I go to church, I'm always greed. I always know I've got some other sin to deal with. Amen. But I'm not striving to get you so that you live sinlessly. It'd be nice if you sinned less. That'd be a good way to start, amen? Amen. But you'll never be sinless. You'll never be without sin. So this is not any focus to live sinlessly. It's not a focus to that, that you never fail or never fall in your Christian walk, folks. This goal that we should have is to simply keep our heart. This proverb says, keep thine heart with all diligence. For out of it, all the issues of life. See, if we focus on fueling our hearts to love God and staying in love with God, there are special benefits for us. But if you're constantly blowing your top and constantly quitting and murmuring, complaining, then the work of God that he is investing in you and me will be for nothing. Seriously, go to first. Uh, go to the Gospel of John. Go to the Gospel of John, chapter fifteen. We'll come back to Romans in a moment. John fifteen and verse one. John fifteen and verse one. I want you to watch the words here. I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my Father is the husband. He's the farmer. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit. He taketh away. So you don't have fruit. There's no proof of your faith. There's nothing to you that shows that you really got saved. He takes away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he what? Ouch. Purging is the pulling away of dead things off of your life. Pulling away things that you may think are valuable. And the Lord says, they're dead. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1 verse 6. My life verse. 
Philippians 1, 6 says, being confident of this very thing. Note that attitude there, that confidence, not arrogance, but confidence, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, a good what? All right, handwork. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I like that verse. One more, Psalm 138. Middle of your Bible, Psalm 138. Some of you haven't read this many scriptures in a week. Come on, get your Bibles out. Psalm 138 in verse 8. I think this is Weston's life verse, if not his favorite verse. Psalm 138, verse 8. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. That's a good, that's a good verse. Amen. Lord's gonna finish. He's gonna, you know, uh, Dennis Linehan, he's a French polisher, which means he comes to a piece of furniture. He takes as rough as this. He makes it even rougher. He, he sands it down to the bare wood and then he begins to, with elbow grease, he begins to sand it and then he begins to smooth it using ever thinner and, 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 and weaker sandpaper and then cloth and working in that, that, uh, stain, uh, and that color. And then he steps back and what has he done? He's finished it. He's perfected it. And the Lord begins with you. You know, when you get saved, he brings on the sandpaper. And he begins He begins to shake you. And he begins to dump out the old stuff and pull off the dead stuff. And you don't like it. You think it's going to be just, just heaven, uh, heaven bound and glory and praise God. It's all over. I'm, I'm happy. No more sorrow. And you find out it's rough. And it's hard to put down the cigarettes. And it's hard to, to switch off the TV. It's hard to... To, to, to stop the mouth from saying the things you used to say. Amen. But the Lord keeps putting the pressure on saying, I'm started working you. I gotta finish it. I gotta finish it. But the Lord will perfect that. Which concerneth me. That's a good thing to know. Now, if you want your life to be miserable like you are, go ahead, do nothing. But if you want your life to make a difference and to have had real purpose, then from this day forward, let him be in charge. Let him be in charge of working out everything for good and just love him anyway. When you're in the pit or when you're on the mountain, when you're in the fire or when you're swimming in the water, love God. If you want what you're going through to count. So I'm going to show you five truths that hold us together when everything is falling apart. Five big truths from Romans chapter 8. Let's go to Romans 8 now. Go back to Romans chapter 8. Let's read it together. Romans chapter 8. We're going to read it and then reread it and reread it. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. If this is not one of your favorite verses, I hope it becomes one today. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Let's read it together. Begin. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. According to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we have a great confidence. You know, I know something. It is something we know. And you know what? It's something we know for sure. Paul says, and we know. Something we know we're sure about. And by the way, it's for believers, folks. It's not the whole world knows it. They came at a clue like what we're talking about this morning. There may be somebody in this room and you switched off already. This doesn't make any sense to you. It just goes over the head. Over the side, out the door. It doesn't affect you. You know why? Because you don't know it. You don't know this true. I know it to be true. 
I've experienced it, folks. What do you know for certain? You know you're living and breathing right now for the moment. What do you know for sure? You have an address you live at. At least you think you do. Maybe you got a family. Maybe you know two plus two is four. Think about how little you know that you know. I know two plus two is four. Amen. Good. What else do you know? Not much. But people who know the Bible and simply... Sorry, people who don't know the Bible and simply trust science or they trust their religion or they trust their priest or they trust their pastor, they're not sure of very much. See, if you're trusting my Bible knowledge, you're doomed. See, it's something you need to know. You know, most people don't know what's going to happen beyond the grave. They're terrified of it. They don't realize. They think, well, it's all over. You're just dead. You're just gone. Most people are unsure if God is even there. God, if you're there. Do you even care? I don't know why anything's happening in this world, but the Bible believe in Christian. Well, we know some things. You know what I know? I know Jesus Christ. I've met him. Not physically, visibly, where I can look at him face in the eye, but I've met him in this book. I know I'm saved. 1 John 5.13 says that um, uh, these things have I written unto you that ye may know that you have eternal life. Amen. I know it. Say, where are you going when you die? I know that to be absent from this body, I will be present with the Lord. Why? Because you think you're so good? No, because he saved me. Because he died for me, was buried and rose again. He asked me to follow him and trust him that he could forgive me and wash me and make me his child. And I did. And he did. I know it. I don't guess it. I don't hope it. I know it. Most of all, I know God's working out everything for good. Let's read Romans 8.28 again. Together. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. Do you know anything? Paul says he knows it. Those first century Christians, you know what type of Christians they were? Not like us. They didn't have transportation. They walked everywhere. They didn't have fridges. They didn't have Tesco's. They didn't have uh, two suit of clothes on their, their back. They, they, they were surrounded by enemies. They were constantly being hunted. They were hated. They were spectacles of this world. They were made fun of. They were thrown to lions. They were tortured. They were stolen from and abused. No justice. You know what Paul says? We know. We know that everything we're going through is working for good. Would you like to have that type of, of assurance? It's to them that love God. You see how I'm working at it? Are you coming with me? So we come to the second one. We have great coverage. Hmm. A lot of insurance programs and uh, uh, offer great coverage until you read the fine print. <laughs> I read some fine print. I was reading car insurance, and it says that uh, 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 this covers you, number one, as long as, and then it listed about 37 different things. You must drive safely. You cannot go through a war zone. You cannot be anywhere where there is acts of terrorism. If there's an earthquake, we will not cover you. And if there's a riot, you're on your own. <laughs> so you think you got great coverage until you realize I'm in Lebanon. <laughs> but you know what? According to that Bible, according to that scripture, we know that how many things? We know that all things 
are covered. Amen. I like that. I mean, when God says all things, look down to verse 35, Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution? Here's one for you. Famine. Not one of you ever experienced famine for more than two days. Some of you needed it. Or nakedness or peril or sword. That's quite a list. That's quite a list. Paul's listening saying, in every one of those things, you've been stressed out, you've been distressed, you've been through trouble like no, no other time in your life. You know what the Bible says? He's going to make it all work together. He's taking care of everything. He doesn't keep you out of trouble, folks. He even directs you into trouble. You don't like that part. <laughs> but in everything, those that love him, watches it all works together for good. That's the mind-blowing truth and reality only Bible-believing Christians who love God can ever, ever enjoy. So, this is why we can praise God. Go to Philippians 4, 6. Hold in your place in Romans. Philippians 4, 6 to the right. That's why a Bible-believing Christian who loves God can praise God for how many things? Say it again. Say it again. All right, now you're waking up. Philippians chapter Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Be careful for nothing. That's an old word. just means just flip it around. Full of care. Don't be anxious. Don't be careful for anything. Be careful for nothing, but in how many things? In everything. In all things. By prayer and supplication with? When was the last time you were thankful for that stress you went through during the week? For that bill you got that wasn't expected? For that unkind word somebody said to you? Thank you, Jesus. Sorry, Lord. <laughs> yeah, I know where you live. With thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Hallelujah. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 to the right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. I'm not only supposed to thank God for everything. Verse 18 says, in everything. Are you with me? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 518, 518. In everything, give why would I give thanks for something that is unpleasant, something that is killing me, something that is ruining me, something that is breaking me? Why would I give thanks? Because I know that God's working it out for something bigger, something better, something good. And everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God covers it all. Name me one thing that God's promise won't cover. You know how sick I am, Pastor. Sickness? You think God's you think God's promise doesn't cover divorce? You think God's promise doesn't cover an untimely timely death in your family or your home? You think God's promise doesn't cover financial ruin? How about abandonment? How about torture? How about being driven from your home? I know plenty of Christians, three quarters of all Christians live outside of Europe, folks. They live outside of Europe, they don't have a house that they own. They don't have food for tomorrow. They don't have clothes or warmth or anything. And you know what they trust? God's going to work it all together for good. And we're stinking complainers. Amen. It's all covered. Hey, folks, that promise cover is all covered, not by some insurance company, not by some multinational. I mean, some of the most wealthy companies in the world, like Apple, Inc., and 
and uh, uh, used to be Microsoft. Now, now it's uh, uh, all these big, uh, huge mega conglomerates. You can't even pronounce their names now. They own almost half the planet and everything. They can't cover everything, but our Almighty God can. Our Almighty God. Aren't you glad you know Him? You know, it's even better. He knows you. <laughs> God promises to make everything in your life to have a purpose. Don't let it go to waste. Don't let it go to waste. Don't let yesterday's problems go to waste. Let's read it again. Romans 8, verse 28. Romans 8, 28. And we, are you with me? Say it with me. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. Now here's something. This is a great reality, folks. We're part of something very big. All right? Something definitely bigger than ourselves. You see, there's something going on bigger than ourselves. Bigger than our little world we live in. I know, I know. You just, you just had your first baby. I know everything is just all wrapped around that kid and all the problems and the bills you're going to have and, and the throwing up and the feedings and you're not getting any sleep. I know, I know. But, but when you think that that's all there is to your life, you're missing the big picture. You're missing out that there's something bigger than there ever has been that ever could be accomplished or experienced by you alone. You see, everything in your and my life is part of a specially designed process. It's time to admit it. If God designed this body, if God designed this planet, if God designed this universe, he designed what you're going through. Did you get what I just said? He's not just up in heaven going, oh no, it's gotten out of hand. Um, it's out of control. I can't fix it. He knows exactly what he's doing. If he designed you, which he did, He's designing, and he has designed, the life that you're going through. It's a specially designed process. You know, uh, you think about all the, uh, the cogs and the wheels and the gears and springs of a device working together. The old, how, some of you might remember some of these, anybody, the only thing you, you, you experience is virtual reality on your phone. But some of us grew up with mechanical things. Some of us watched things uh, mechanically, like an automaton, he's walking in all the hundreds of gears and pulleys and things moving in that, that doll was fantastic. Somebody had to design that thing. Our problem is, and, and I mean, there's a clock, man. Now, they're poor illustrations of this thing. They're not all available for me to grab on the internet, but all those inner workings of a clock make that thing work, and it is an amazing thing when you take that thing apart and you just realize you take one thing out and it won't work. You say, Lord, my life's beautiful. If only you got rid of grandma. <laughs> the day we moved her in the house was the day we lost it all. But that one little cog, that one spring, that one thorn in the flesh, that one problem in your life, if you took it out and if you complained about it and you rejected and you fought it, you find out that God can't complete the work he began in you. Now, God doesn't ask you to love, are you with me? Love the thorn. Unless they are your mother-in-law or your, anyway. <laughs> but I'm saying the pain that somebody brings to you, the, the pain that some experience brings to you, the, the, the heartache, the, the defeat, the sorrow, is not something you love. 
What are we supposed to love? God. So it's okay to cry. It's okay to want to give up. It's okay to actually get frustrated and to be stressed out as long as you say, Lord, I'm at the end. As long as you're with me, I'll stay faithful. You see, there's some amazing things. A motor. I mean, all, you'd sit in that car, you start it up and you drive it off. If you knew what was actually happening inside of that V4, V6 engine, you'd, you'd jump out of it and you'd run away. There is so much combustion going on inside of that engine, all those parts. If one of those springs got loose and flew out, the whole engine, they're balanced, well-designed, and so is your life. So is your life. Specially designed process. Our problem is we hate the process. <laughs> we, hate, we, we don't like it. We think our, 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 our life is of no use. And, and the worst thing is we try to understand the process. Lord, if I only understood why. How many of you have ever prayed that? Lord, why? You know, Job prayed that. He didn't get an answer. God just showed up and says, boo. And Job went, you win. <laughs> Don't try to understand it. On the radio, they're sitting there talking about it uh, this week. And that's what got me, man, thinking. Sometimes we hit the wall. And there is no why what, what trouble happens. There's no explaining that thing. I just love God. I just know God's in charge. I just know he's in charge. See, think about it. Everything working together. All things in your life. Can you imagine stepping back and realizing everything? All your stinking rebellion for those years. If you love God, God will use it for his glory. All that sin in your life that was killing you and ruining your friends and ruining your family destroying, bringing gray hairs to your mom, everything that you did, everything that you fought, every sin you committed, you wanted to be for nothing, live on. But if you want that past to actually have value for the future and for God to take it and bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ and for him to use you so that there's something good that comes out of your life, then love him. Fall in love with him and say, Lord, I love you. I haven't told you in a week, I haven't told you in a month, but I love you and I'm going to love you more and more, I'm not going to let my heart grow cold. If you want your life to count, if you want everything to work together for good. You know, for a Bible-even Christian, life should be a work of beauty. Go to Ecclesiastes. Hold your place to Romans. Back to the middle is Psalms, then Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He, speaking of God, He hath made everything beautiful in His time. Also, He hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. There's too much to process in order to... I, like trying, If you had to figure out the whole world, you'd have to figure out the whole world just to figure out what God's doing. But what does it say that he's doing in the first part of the verse? He's making everything beautiful in his time. Thank God. Thank God. Think about it. Man. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8 and read it again. Who can quote it? 
Who can quote Romans 8.28? Let me see your hand. Somebody. I know Dina probably can. Anybody else? Anybody? Uh, um, Tony. Say it real loud, please. Wonderful. I want you to see that fourth great truth of this thing is that we will be blessed. We will. Listen to those words again. And we know. And we know that all things work together, next two words, for good. You know, now things are not working for our ruin anymore. You know, every time you picked up a, 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 a Murphy Stout or a Guinness or you picked up a cigarette, what were you doing? You were killing yourself. Every time you sat and you laid, you sat in front of the television and watched late night TV, you were defiling yourself. Every time you were hanging out with the friends and going out with the girls, you were killing yourself. It was ruining you. For the first time in your life, things are working out for good, even though they may be bad. Uh, all things work together for good. You know, I don't know, I don't know about you, but Romans 28 promises you're going to be blessed. And not just for our good, but for good overall. Everything's going to be good. You see, we have a funny way of twisting what good is. We think only sunny days are good. Now, I like sunny days. I mean, give me some sunny days, amen? But if you had nothing but sunny days, we'd have dead grass and dead crops. So what we think is good, we better leave to God, amen? There are two great examples, if you don't mind going. Genesis chapter 45. I don't care if you mind anyway. Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45 and verse 7. Two great examples. The first one is a guy named Joseph. Joseph is uh, rejected by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. He's falsely accused, thrown into prison on death row, about to be executed. And then without, without... Without warning, everything turns around and he is set up as prince in Egypt. He's second under Pharaoh and he's elevated and his own brothers are bowing before him. What happened? Chapter 45 and verse 7. Genesis 45 and verse 7. Verse two, verse 46 says, For these two years hath the famine been in the land, Joseph says, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earing nor harvest. And God, look at what how Joseph looks back on his life. He says, God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So God took a Joseph and actually put him in that pit hated by his brothers. But he said, God did that? I don't, I can't fully understand how his, how Joseph's brother's hatred can be used of God, but God knows how to do it. Say, my brothers hated me. My parents hated me. Well, it'll all be wasted unless you love God. Joseph could have gotten bitter at every step. He could have sat down at the bottom of that pit that his brothers threw in and he says, God, I'm not serving you anymore. This is what I get. He's bound up, he's put in a wagon, and he's sent off by the Midianites down to the Egypt, and as his brothers go, bye-bye, bye-bye, have a nice holiday. <laughs> as he's sold off into slavery, he could have said, I'm fed up with this, I don't want to believe in God, I don't care if he sends me to hell, I give up. He could have said all that, couldn't he? 
through that whole thing, when he gets to meet his brothers, instead of him saying, oh, I got you now. <laughs> and when he says, God sent me here. Not you. Not you. Look at chapter 50, verse 20. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. Here's the Romans 8:28 of Genesis. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. But as for you, this is Joseph still talking to his brothers, but as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto, what's our key word? Quote with me, Romans 8:28. See if you can say it with me. And we know that all things work together for to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. As for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Go to Job chapter 2. Job, just before Psalms, Job. So we've got one good example. As a matter of fact, there's hundreds. How about Esther? How about Esther? Situation. She's there minding her own business. She's taken from her family. She's thrown into a harem. She's about to be used and abused by the king, thrown away, no purpose in her life. Through that old thing, Mordecai praying for Esther, worshiping God. God raises her up and makes her a queen. And what was meant for evil turned out to be good and saved the entire nation. How about Jonah? When was the last time you thought about a whale? of a problem you're in, and God took that whale and made a better man out of him. Jonah would not have changed if it weren't for a whale. Amen? Some of you are waiting for a whale, or a whale's waiting for you. (laughs) Job chapter 2 and verse 9. Job. Job chapter 2 and verse 9. Job's lost everything. Health, wealth, family, wife, Everything. Job chapter 2 and verse 9 says this. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speak. What? Shall we not receive good at the hand of God? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive also what? Evil in all this did not Job sin with his lips. Two amazing... Uh, you and I have never been quite in this place. But in this place, you know what Job was doing? Keeping his heart right. You know, there are blessings only a Christian can know. But there are blessings only a Christian who loves God can know. Back to Romans. What do you think I'm going to ask you to do? Read it with me. Ready? Romans 8.28. Say it with me now. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, you may not like it, but uh, we're in a minority. It's only to them. See, all things don't work out good for everybody. They, they just don't. This is a promise and assurance that's only for those who... Love God. Romans 8.28 is not for the unbelieving. You say, well, God's never been good to me. Are you even following him? I've never seen God answer any of my prayers. Are you even saved? Say, I don't think my life's been any good. Are you saved? Are you in the family of God? I tell you what, there's only two families. Jesus spoke to, to some very religious people called Pharisees, and he said, you're not even saved. You're so religious, 
but you are of your father the... You're in the wrong family. Now, a Christian is not exempt from trouble. But in our trouble, I know that my trouble and my problems, my stress, my distresses, my, my horrors are going to turn out for good. You want to live your life where everything you've got is wasted? Stay the way you are. See, Romans 8.28 is not a promise for the unbelieving, and it's not a promise for the lukewarm Christian who's only here on a Sunday morning and barely here at that. Definitely not here for the spectator. You know, there are plenty of people watching you, and they're standing there going, I bet you he'll fall this week. Promises. That promise there is not for the spectator. It's for the lover of God. Those who actually really love God. Think about it. You see, people want, let me say this. People want God to make everything wonderful for them without them wanting anything to do with God. Did you get that? person whose heart is hard and unrepentant is not accumulating good. It's not even focused on good, not even going to arrive at good. It's going to arrive at wrath. Go to Romans chapter 2. Back, Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, 5, and 6. Should have had tune day, not heat up the water. And fix every one of you tea and coffee with lukewarm. I should have had him do that so that you'd all know how awful it is to be lukewarm. Amen. Tune day, I should have. Didn't think about it. No, not next week. <laughs> Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering. Do you despise God's long-suffering towards you, not knowing that it is the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent, that means unrepentant heart, what are you doing? You treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. What's the problem? What sin would get me in trouble with God? You ready? A hard heart. I thought I thought a drunkard goes to hell. I thought the 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 abortionist who kills babies, I thought he goes to hell. I thought the the harlot and the whoremonger, I thought they go to hell. I thought the drug dealers go to hell. You know who goes to hell? The person who has a hard heart. Who does not ever get soft and bow the knee before God and say, you're right and I'm wrong. By the way, you're so right, I love you. And I will not love this world anymore. Lord, you're the only one worthy of my love. And as a matter of fact, the greatest commandment for all, and if anybody is, that I just love you. The more I know you, the more I love you. And if you don't, you'll miss the greatest gift ever given to you. The gift of the love of God. You can't, you, you, you can't receive the love that God has for you until you have love for him. So, we're in a minority. Most people don't love God. Most people don't. They only want God to do things for them, but they want nothing to do with God. Funny contradiction. We have two tasks. Then go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Romans 8, 28. Let's read it again. 
Tunde's going to read it for me. Romans 8, 28, together. And we know that all things work together for good. Boy, that's just good, isn't it? I mean, if it just stopped right there, that'd be good enough. I mean, wow. Do you know that? Let's do it again. Anyway. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Two things we got to do. Write them down. Number one, love God and yield to his call and purpose for your life. I believe the most miserable people on the planet are those who won't do what God says. You find out what God says to do, and at that moment you say, nope, you're, you're, you're miserable, and your life is a waste. You're back under the dominion of Satan. I don't care how saved you are. He's going to, like a puppet, going to direct your life into ruin. He's as a lion, warring about who, seeking whom he may, what? And those are Christians. And we get that way simply because of our hard hearts. See, what it means is, if you don't love God, you can't claim this promise. Nod your head. And if you're not yielded to his purpose in your life, you say, I'm here, I'm stuck in this, in this job, I'm, 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 I'm stuck in Ireland, I'm, 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 uh, God, I know God brought me here, but I don't like where I am. Do you want where you're at to count? You may not appreciate everything that happens where you're at, but if you are the called according to his purpose, if you are yielded to that call instead of constantly saying, I got to get out of here, I got to do this, I got to do that. If you miss the call of God for your life, and by the way, the call of God is not just to be a pastor. Sometimes it's just to be a Christian mom. Sometimes it's just to be a teenager who will stand up at, 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 at the school and stand up and be counted and stand up and honor the name of Jesus Christ and, 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 and hand out gospel tracts and tell people they need to get saved. The wrath of God is coming and they need to be born again and actually stand up call of God. You yield to that call or are you afraid of it? Because if you're not yielded to it, the promise doesn't work for you. To love God, folks, doesn't mean you love Him because of the great benefits, even though there are some. It doesn't mean that you have to do, do, do in order to prove that you love God either. It just means that you love Him. You know, many a husband and wife trying to figure out, do I love them? Do I love her? Do I love him? You know, you just do. You just switch off, say, I, I got to be a blessing to him. I got to be a blessing to him. I just love him. It means to just love him for who he is. Don't worry about what he does. I know he only doeth wondrous things. But sometimes he doesn't do anything, apparent. And you're just going to have to say, I just love him. It means to think about him. If you love God, you know who you're going to think about? You're going to think about him. We've got so many distractions. We've got the iPad. we got the iPhone. we got the I, 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 me, 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 me. It's all about us, isn't it? we got all these stupid things. You don't have God. Not in your thoughts. Not on your heart. It means to think about him. Spend time with him in prayer. He's waiting for you. You know, he's waited all night. Like, he's waited all night for you to wake up. He's, at the side, he's over the side of your bed, and he's just looking at you, and you wake up. All you're thinking about is coffee. <laughs> you're thinking about work. 
You're in the middle of everything else. And the Lord's saying, I've been thinking about you all night. If we, if we added up all the thoughts that God has towards us, the whole world couldn't count the number. And we don't give two thoughts to him. You see, love him by thinking about him. Greatest, the greatest minds of all time, Isaac Newton, um, Lord Kelvin, um, greatest minds of all time, greatest scientists were Bible-believing Christians who took time, they'd sit out and they'd, they'd look out over a field and they'd just go, you're amazing, God. You're amazing. To love God means to be glad at whatever he does and rejoice at whatever he doesn't do. To yield to his call and purpose means, now many people wonder, what does it mean to be the call? Well, it just, it just means that you've answered the call to follow Jesus Christ. That's the call. It's like if there was a war and they called up and they says, we need volunteers and you answer the call. Are you the called? Only when you answer the call. Have you answered the call? Some of you answered, I'll follow Jesus today. But not tomorrow, not until next Sunday. That's not answering the call. Hmm. Every Christian is called by God to do something. But you know how you discover what God is actually working your life towards? By you doing what he asks you to do today. If you yield to that today. Now, I'm talking to the choir. You're already here. Where are you going to be tonight? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You see, there's some tests. You need to test your love for God. God gives us plenty of tests. Let's go to First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4, still holding your place in Romans. First John, just before Revelation. First John chapter 4, verse 20. Don't just say you love God, because it's going to be tested. If a man say, I love God, and hated his brother, <laughs> he's a liar. Wow. John talks like that. You say you love God and you hate somebody, then you're a I didn't hear. I only heard this side. If you say you love God and you hate somebody, what does the Bible call you? Right. Wow. <clears throat> For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Go back to verse 12. No man has seen God in any time. Well, if any man, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Amen. Amen. You know, if you don't test your love, the devil will. And he will, man. So test your love for God and then test your calling. Test your calling. Um, I got a lot to say, but I'm going to rush and finish up. So many people, again, are waiting for a call. But are you actually doing what God asked you to do? I mean, you need to put a stack of tracks in your pocket and you need to just hand them out. Jesus said, go. He didn't say it for the pastor to go. Didn't say it for the associate pastor to go. Didn't say it for the youth leader to go. Didn't say it for the spiritual to go. He said for Christians to go. Give the gospel out. Invite people to church. Give them your testimony. Tell them they need to get saved. Are you willing to do that? Test your calling. I wonder if I'm called to be a pastor. I wonder if I'm called to be a missionary. It's a good thing to test. But ask yourself, am I supposed to be the right kind of husband to my wife? Am I supposed to be the right kind of wife to my husband? Am I being that? Test your calling. Now I'm going to wrap all these things up. I want us to look at chapter 8, verse 35. Back in Romans chapter 8, verse 35. It's an amazing thing 
It says, to them that love him in verse 28. But verse 35 says, who shall separate us from the love of who? Are you with me? Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists it. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are blessed all the day long. Hello, did I read it wrong? Yeah, some other churches may read it that way. We are killed all the day long. Now that's where we live. We're persecuted, we're troubled. It says, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the... That's what it feels like. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You know what a conqueror is? A conqueror is not a warrior. A conqueror is not a fighter. A conqueror is the guy on the end of the battle. He's at the end of the battle. He's finished his course. We are more than conquerors. Verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, get the picture. Our Lord's grip on us is rock solid. Would you agree? Our Lord's love for us never changes. Would you agree? All right. And I got two statements. No one can separate us from the love of Christ. Amen. That's the eternal security of the believer. I don't care what you do. doesn't matter what anybody else does. doesn't matter what the devil does. You are secure in his care. But what will separate your love for him? What will happen in your life? What does the devil have to do to get you to go, I don't care anymore. I don't want to read my Bible anymore. I don't even want to try to trust God anymore. You can't fix how you feel. You can just overwhelm it. Are you with me? You're just going to have to come sometimes where daily you get in that mood and you say, God, keep my heart right. God, I'm sorry. I know my heart's getting hard and I got to ask you, please. I beg of you, God, stop my heart from going cold. Because I don't want to end up like this millennial generation today. I don't want to end up like the kids who are sitting there who are doping up and drinking up and there's no tomorrow. And they don't realize that they're not only throwing their life away, they're throwing their eternity away. And they have no hope that any of their life will ever matter. I want you to look at your life and say, I haven't got much to show for. I don't have I don't have three successes. All my life's trouble, all my life's burdens, sorrows. Wouldn't you like it to have counted for something good? Go to Acts chapter 4 and we'll finish this. Acts chapter 4. Last verse, last statement. Acts chapter 4. In verse 27, Peter is preaching to a crowd of Jews who were there at the crucifixion, who had cried out, crucify him, who had wanted the death of the Messiah. Acts chapter 4 and verse 27, listen to Peter as he says these amazing words. Verse 27, for of a truth, actually, I, I got two thoughts. I'm only bringing you one of them. He's already preached it, but now he's praying. Uh, and all the disciples are praying together after they've been persecuted. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, 
whom thou hast appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. Why? For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy wisdom, thy counsel determined before to be done. What is Peter acknowledging? That, that disaster of Jesus turning himself over to the, to the, to the soldiers, to those wicked men who dragged him before the, the, the high priest and between both, uh, high priests and from, from trial after trial to Herod to Pilate, back to Herod, back to Pilate, before the people, uh, mocked and, and then, then beaten and, and whipped and then put on that cross. And Peter says, I don't even know him anymore. And he looked back on that and he says, God, that was you. And, and Peter never lost sight that God worked that disaster out for good. Hallelujah. If God can take that disaster and make it good to lead you to Christ and get your attention, what's some dumb dog Gentile interested in a Jewish Messiah for? Because that cross count my attention. I mean, that cross gets any of our attention. I don't care who we are. And we look at him down on that cross for the likes of me. Yeah. That is Romans 8.28. He works all things together for good. You know, it's a shame. Most people go to hell because they won't fall in love with the God who did that for them. Let's stand this bound prayer. <clears throat> Father, I, I thank you for this challenge. We want the promise, but we forget often to look at the heart. We want the benefits, we want the blessings. We ignore the need of our heart to be right. Right now, God, we should get right. We should be telling you, Lord, I love you. We're so Western, so arrogant. We're so unable to show emotion. We're so stuck on our image of ourselves that we can't just stop and tell you we love you. Just about every page of this book you tell us you love us. Yeah, you get upset. Yeah, you got to chasten us, but whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Wow. Nothing separates us from the love of Christ. Lord, I wish it was true in my life that nothing would separate my love for you. And right now, God, in this room, there's some people who, who know about you. Got all the head knowledge in the world, but until it sinks down 12 inches to their heart, they'll go to hell. They'll miss the reason for every trouble in their life. They'll miss the calling of God to make every failure something good. What's sad is, Lord, there's a lot of Christians in this room who are in the same boat. They're saved, they're going to heaven, they're washed in the blood, they're forgiven. But their heart is hard. They don't love you like they should. They used to be on fire for you. They used to be hot. 
They used to love this Bible. They used to love preaching. They used to say amen. They used to, they used to be out soul winning. They used to have a life that was on fire and excited and they were a light. But right now they're lukewarm. And they're just like the TV shows they watch. Just like the friends they hang with. They're just like the chair they sit in. Dead. God, I pray some people are burdened. They're sorry. I know I am. Make us Make us understand what it means to love you and change our heart. Give us a heart again that finds it so easy to love you. Take away the the confusion. Overwhelm the hurt so that we'll put up with the thorns. We'll put up with the stress because we know that all things are working together for good. If only I would love you and yield to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Grab your hymnal. Let's um, 